want you to imagine that just about a week ago you headed out for Camp Shatek and you came from wherever part of the Twin Cities area you leave from and you made the mistake of not grabbing one of our handy straight gate maps that give you perfectly crystal clear directions from I-94 to Shatek, Wisconsin because you said Ah, I have one of these. And I bet Google Maps is even better than the directions that Steve Krell put together more than 20 years ago. I bet they're even better because do you know what Steve Krell couldn't anticipate? What traffic would look like 20 years later. And in fact, Steve Krell can't tell me right now where traffic, a traffic jam has occurred. But this thing will. And so I'm going to use this. And so sure enough, you punch in Shatek Baptist Camp into your Google Maps and off you go. And as you go along, you see, you're, if you're me, you go through high down Highway 36 until you cross the bridge into Wisconsin and you're on Highway 64. And then you continue trucking on Highway 64 through New Richmond. And then everything gets a little bit weird. You know when you get onto Highway 64 suddenly you need to start going north and east on streets that start with like letters? It's like Highway Double A or something like that. You say, what, on, what in the world is this? There's always, as I go to Camp Chutech, there's a particular barn with a horse running around in the field and that's, that's my go-to. I was like, I know to turn right here. I've seen that barn before. But let's say this was only like your second or third time of coming to Camp Chutech, or maybe even your first. And suddenly you're in the middle of, excuse me, Podunk, Wisconsin, and you realize you have no more internet service. And you say, good grief. Your phone and no longer is able to direct you where you're going, and you're sitting there with Highway Double Eight A going this way and Highway Double Y going that way, and you're totally sunk. Do you know at that point, when you realize you are a stranger in unfamiliar territory in Wisconsin, you realize how much you need a map. Steve Krell's map, frankly, that doesn't rely on, on GPS or cell service. Okay, now you know where I'm going. When I want to talk this evening about Psalm 119, 19, that says these words, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. I am a stranger in the earth, so hide not. Literally, don't conceal. Don't cut out the cell service. Don't hide from me your commandments. What I want to ask tonight is the connection between those two ideas. I'm a stranger, so please don't hide your commandments from me. And I want to do it in this context. As you read through Psalm 119, are you struck like I am how much this guy loves the word of God? 
Is this convicting to you when you go through Psalm 119 and he says things like, I esteem the words of your mouth more than my necessary food? When he says things like, your word and your commandments are better to me than all riches? When he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When he says, your word tastes as sweet as honey in the honeycomb, like the best haagen ice cream there is. That is what your word is like to me. Is that ever challenging to you like it is to me? This is a guy who is just, the word of God is coming out his pores. And he wants more and more and more and more of it. It's like he can never get enough. Is that challenging to you? The question that I want to ask tonight is why? Why did this guy, by the way, we don't know who wrote this chapter. Many of the old scholars thought it was David. Many of the newer scholars think it might have been Ezra. After the exile of God's people, a little later date, whoever it was, was someone who had the experience of treasuring God's word, delighting in it, and seeking to bring it in to every area of his life. My question is, how? How? Why? Why did he feel like that? Why did he have that kind of delight? And if I am not experiencing that kind of delight, if I can't say that desire is like my desire for the word of God, then tonight I want to try to answer the question, why? Now, We're not going to answer every bit of that question, but I think there's something, an answer in verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. The title of the message this evening is A Stranger's Direction. A Stranger's Direction. I want to ask tonight what your desire is for God's word, what your delight is for God's word, and how exactly it can be strengthened. We're going to look at three things tonight from this one verse and more broadly this clause or this section of verses, Gimel. First of all, what the author desires. Second of all, what the author discerns. And finally, why the author depends. What he desires, what he discerns, and why he depends. Now, let's just step back for just a minute to get a little bit of context on Psalm 119. You're familiar with Psalm 119? It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible, clocking it at over 170 verses. Now, there are a couple things just, again, who wrote it? We don't know. could be David. It could be, uh, it could be the prophet. We're not exactly entirely sure other than that, whether it's David, whether it's Ezra. We know someone wrote it who had a great desire and delight in God's word. What else do we know about this? This, if you see, is divided up into 22 sections. 22 little sections. What is the first section titled in Psalm 119? What is it? Yes. Aleph. How do you say, what is Aleph? Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. What is the second section titled? Beth or Bet. What is Bet? The second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. What is the third section titled? The one we're reading tonight. Gimel. What is Gimel? Wow, you guys are really good at picking up patterns. I bet we'd even get better if we went to the fourth one. Okay? Yes, that's exactly what it is. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 
Every section corresponds to the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Here's the thing that will really blow your mind. For every verse in that section, guess what Hebrew letter it begins with? That letter that it corresponds to. Aleph, every word there, uh, every verse there, my understanding is, begins with Aleph. Next, everyone begins with Bet. Everyone begins with Gimel. It's like an allegors, it's like a alliteration all the way down. So the intent was that it would be really easy for someone to what? Memorize it. It was intended to be an aid for even Hebrew children to be able to put the entire psalm to memory because it was just working through the alphabet. You know, parents, your kids can memorize the Bible far better probably than you can imagine. Start young. They can get it. It's very important to put through repetition the word of God so they begin treasuring it in their hearts. So here we're in Gimel and the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet and we are working through different verses that begin in Hebrew with that letter Gimel. Now notice here what this psalmist desires, not just in Gimel but through the entire chapter. This chapter is focused more than any other chapter in the Bible on what? The Word of God. Sometimes he calls the Word of God his, the law of God. Sometimes he speaks to it as the statutes of God, or the judgments of God, or the testimonies of God, using different ideas and different um, connotations about the Word of God. He's speaking about the Word in almost every verse. In almost every verse of these 100, I think, 76 verses, he is speaking about God's word and its effect on him. So clearly what he is desiring here is God's word. But now let's just focus in on Gamel, shall we? Just notice, starting in verse number 18, he says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So what is he desiring? He's saying, God... I need to see the wonderful things, literally the things that will cause wonder when I look at your word. Do you know there are wonderful things in the Bible that our eyes need to be open to? And that if God doesn't open your eyes to see them, they're going to go right over your head? I heard one pastor talking about the challenge for all of us. Sometimes we feel the desire to jump into really hard things in the Bible dig in and try to solve problems or there's a controversy or let me try to jump in and solve it. And sometimes we miss the things that are just obvious and open right on their face. We just miss how wonderful they are. When the verse is about Jesus' love for us and what he did in dying us for us on the cross and the forgiveness of our sins, instead of seeing into them and saying, wow, that's amazing, which is right overhead. We've read that a hundred different times before. We're looking for some hard stuff. No, the psalmist is just saying, there, there is treasure in your word. Help me to see the wonderful things in it. In verse 19, he says, hide not thy commandments from me. I don't want to be like on a hide-and-seek game that I'm going to lose. Just help me to see. Don't conceal anything from me in your word. He, in verse 20, he speaks about the longing that he has for God's judgments. Again, for God's word. It's like he's saying, my heart is just breaking for your word and in, in my desire for it. He talks about, in verse 21, the proud who, who err from God's commandments. He says in verse 22 that he has kept God's testimonies, that he meditates in God's statutes. And then in verse 24, that God's testimonies are his delight and his counselors. They not only are utterly great tasting to him, but they are ultimately are good for pointing him in the right direction. This guy has an 
utter desire and delight in God's word. And that should be all of our testimony if we are truly seeing and savoring what God expects for us in his word. So what does he desire? He desires God's word above all else. But notice, secondly, what he discerns. Will you notice with me in verse, seven, in verse I'm sorry, 19? I am a stranger in the earth. Now notice what he says there. I am a stranger where? Where? In the earth. He didn't say, I'm a stranger in Jerusalem. I'm a stranger in Israel. I'm a stranger in Egypt. I'm a stranger where I am right now. In other words, this is not talking about a geographic location. God, I'm feeling a little bit like a stranger right now. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm a stranger anywhere. This world, in the words of the old hymn, is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? Now, I want to suggest there are a couple ways he could be using this to say, I'm a stranger. I'm a stranger. Well, where do we feel like strangers? The first place we feel like strangers is a place where we're unfamiliar. Right? You go down to a new place, like outside of Chatech, Wisconsin, or wherever you're vacationing, and suddenly you look around and you have no roadmaps. You look around and you don't recognize a single thing and you say, whoa, I am foreign to this place. I am a stranger here. You know that feeling. I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. It's unfamiliar to you. But do you know there's another way in which you feel like a stranger? When things aren't only unfamiliar, but they're unfriendly. You you know what I'm talking about. It's the difference between going to a new place. Imagine if you went over somewhere in the Middle East where everyone dressed completely differently from you. They had a completely different national religion than you were unfamiliar with. Their cultural expressions were wildly divergent from yours. And you moved there. At first, it would be completely unfamiliar. You wouldn't know your way around. You couldn't speak the language. You couldn't communicate at the grocery store. You'd say, I'm completely lost. But do you know if you lived there long enough, you'd catch up. You'd know the streets. You'd learn how to communicate with the people. You'd be able to understand a little bit of the culture. It would no longer be unfamiliar. But do you know if people were hostile to you because of your faith or because of the color of your skin or because of your national or ethnic origin? Do you know it would, you would never stop feeling like a stranger? You would never stop feeling like an outcast? Why? Because you might become familiar with the surroundings and yet the unfriendliness or the difference of the people and the culture you would never be embraced in. I thought of this in my own neighborhood. There's a, a house down the street, several blocks from us, and it is a Muslim man and his family. And I've heard of this man that he has felt deeply, deeply just isolated in the whole neighborhood. And whether that's the neighborhood or whether that's him, I have no idea. But he's got, if you drive past his house, he's got some message written loudly across his, like his front door or something. And it's like, we're here and we're not going anywhere and you can't drive us out. You know, that kind of defiant message, like we're here for good and you're just going to have to put that in your pipe and smoke it. And I just thought about this guy who's been living in the neighborhood for some time. He's no longer unfamiliar to it. But because he feels so foreign in it still, he's got this wall up. He, he, he feels he's a stranger to everyone who's coming 
around him. That feeling, there's two ways you can be a stranger. Because you're unfamiliar or because the surroundings are completely hostile and completely unfriendly. Well, what's the psalmist thinking about here? Don't you think it could be both in some way? He says, I am a stranger in the earth. Well, what does that mean? Well, think about in a spiritual sense how you relate to all the unfamiliar circumstances that arise around you every day. How many times do you run into situations in your daily life that you say, don't know what to do here. Don't know how to respond to this person. Don't know what the right thing to say in this situation would be. Yikes, I don't know. I've never come across this issue before. You can see very easily someone coming into this world of just feeling unfamiliar with all the circumstances that come into life. It, it, it would be kind of like what I would call an inner confusion. You're just facing life, and frankly, you don't know where to go. Should I take that job or this job? Should I go to this school or that job, school? Should I marry this person or this person? What do I do? Do I go to this church or this church? And you just feel adrift with the unfamiliarity of your circumstances. That's one way in which we can very easily feel like a stranger. And the reality is, friends, we should feel like a stranger in that way. Do you know what Proverbs 28 says? It says very, very just simply, he that trusteth in his own heart is a what? Fool. If you and I get really familiar with all the things that we're bumping into in the world, Oh, I know exactly what to say. Oh, I know exactly how to handle that issue. Oh, yeah, that, that complication, got it, not a problem. Seen that a million times. Do you know that you're probably a fool? Because you're trusting in what? You're trusting in your own heart. You're trusting in your own ability to get out of scrapes and get out of jams, and you say, I got this one. No, there, there is a sense in which the spiritually humble person says, God, I'm adrift. I got so many challenges and uncertainties in my life right now. I'm going to need some help here. I'm a stranger in this earth running in to all these different, different difficulties. So it, it's, it's an inner confusion. Like you're in a new town and you don't know whether to turn left or right to get to the grocery store. You're a stranger. But I also think there's a sense here in which, in which the psalmist is speaking of a kind of, could I say it, external corruption? A very unfriendly world around him? Why do I say that? Because look at what comes next in this, this Gimel passage. Notice what he says, for example, in verse 21. He says, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. What has he just said? He said, I, your commandments are my delight. He says, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. And then he looks around him and he sees these proud people who are just shaking their fist at God's commandments. And he says, whoa, I'm surrounded here. Keep on going in verse 22. He says, remove from me reproach and contempt. He says, God, I'm looking around here and I'm only getting reproach and contempt. I'm trying to follow your word and do what you say and everyone's giving me reproach and contempt. Go down to verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me. 
God, I'm feeling hostility, not just from those on the ordinary classes of society, but even the, the, the leaders in society, the elite in society, they are the ones that are speaking against me. I am trying to ally myself with your word. And all of these unfriendly forces, the proud, those who rebel against you, and even the princes themselves are speaking against me and opposing me. It seems to me that what he's feeling is not just an inner confusion about what to do next in life. It is the external opposition and the external potential corruption that he is feeling. And he's saying, I'm a stranger here. You know, there's a sense too in which he could be thinking of his stranger, of his foreign nature as being one like is in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you remember when the author of Hebrews chapter 11 is speaking of those patriarchs in the Old Testament who moved from one place to another? Abraham lived in the promised land, but only as a sojourner. And then Isaac lived in the same land. And Jacob lived, and it wasn't theirs. And what does the author of Hebrews 11 says? He said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They said, I'm not supposed to li- I'll be here for the long term. The promise of faith says there's something beyond death that's mine. I can never truly be at home in this world. Let me ask you something today, friends. Do you feel increasingly at odds with what you're seeing in the world around us? Do you feel increasingly like a stranger when you watch the news or when you listen to the news or read it in the newspaper? Do you feel increasingly opposed to an unfriendly world around? If so, you should consider why. Why do, you, why do you feel that way? Well, it, it, it's interesting to me that it's not solely a reaction to culture, or at least it shouldn't be. Our culture is always changing. And in many ways, it doesn't seem like it's changing for the better. But we also have to be careful with that. Because if we only mark our opposition or the unfriendliness of the world by the specific culture that we're in, we're not really getting down to the root of the issue. Let's say, well, we would prefer it if, if our culture dressed a little bit more like in an, an earlier day, the 1940s or the 1930s or the 1920s. Pick a date. The Victorian era. If only we dressed a little bit more like that, that would be the right culture for us to be. Do you know, friends, the Christians that were living in that day felt like a complete stranger and pilgrim then, no matter how people dressed? In other words, we can't just take an external, well, if only our music were more like it was when they were waiting to hear what Bach came out with next, when they were waiting to hear what Mozart came out with. If only our music was more like that. Christians in that day felt like a complete alien in that world as well. Why? Because there's no culture that ever truly speaks to what the gospel requires. Why? Because the culture is simply a reflection of the world in that state. A culture is just a collection of the practices and the desires and the interests of that particular age, in that particular place, and with those particular people. And what is the problem that that culture is always infected with and by? 1 John 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that is in the world 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You say, what does that have to do with culture? It means that the cultural issues that we are reacting to are not wrong merely because they are cultural. They are wrong because they are imbibing and reflecting the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Why do people in our culture dress in a particular way? Because they are motivated by those three things, just like they were motivated like that back in the 1940s or the 1850s or whatever culture we wish we could go and inhabit before. They were, they were infected by the exact same things then. Now, does that mean that there aren't particular manifestations that are particularly more inappropriate maybe than they have been at other times? I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying we should get down to the root of it. The root of it is not just the culture in and of itself. It is the way the culture reflects the things that the Bible says are not of the Father, but are of the world, and will be involved in every single culture across every single time. Every sincere Christian has always felt like an alien in their culture, no matter what specific cultural manifestations there are. Why? Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life will always come out in a culture. And the godly Christian, the sincere Christian, needs not just merely to re reject every single cultural manifestation, but to discern what is a reflection in this particular culture of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And how do I respond appropriately? You see, any culture that we're in, any society that we're in, whatever people, place, and time we are, we will be strangers. Because by the grace of God, we are being delivered from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is becoming, by God's grace, increasingly foreign to us. And when we see it manifested, when we see it reflected in our culture, our reaction is, I don't fit here. This isn't what I'm pursuing. My life isn't focused around money. My life isn't focused on my reputation in the business community. My life isn't focused on showing off my personal uh, characteristics, my beauty, my wealth, my status. That's not how I dress. You see, that is the heart of why Christians should ultimately feel more and more like strangers. Because this world, this earth, is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You see, what does this godly man discern in Psalm 119? He sees the oppression of, the, of, of those around him and says, I don't fit here. I'm a stranger. I don't speak the language like I used to. I don't speak, I don't fit the, the, the kind of predominating culture like I used to. I don't fit in here. I'm a stranger. Now, I just want to pause for a moment and ask you to reflect Whatever your age is, it's natural for us as we get older to feel like we fit in less. That's just because we were more comfortable with a previous culture than the one of the current generation. But I should ask you young people as well, you who are more connected to modern culture than some of us who are older, how comfortable do you fit? 
how, how secure a position do you feel in your particular cultural moment without stepping back and reflecting on, wait a second, in what ways is that cultural moment reflecting the kind of lusts and the kind of prides that the Bible says, watch out, watch out, that's not from me. That's from the world. Think about that. Think about how close my fit really is to the world around me. So notice, first of all, what this man desires. He desires the word of God above all else. Notice what he discerns. He says, I'm a stranger here. I've got unfamiliar circumstances in which I need direction, and I've got unfriendly influences surrounding me that I don't fit in. I am a stranger. And third, let's look and try to connect these two things in what I'm going to say, why he depends. Why he depends on God's word. Notice again what he says in verse 19, will you? I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. Hide not thy commandments from me. Okay, start, go back to that picture. You are driving to Camp Shatek, and you're stranded in an unfamiliar circumstance, and your GPS goes out. The first thing you're saying is, Verizon, don't do this to me. No, don't. I have to see where to go. And then you're going to understand what the psalmist says later in this chapter when he says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, friend, the more you feel like a stranger in the circumstances that are coming into your daily life, the more you are going to go to this book like it's a lamp and a light the more you are going to dig into your Bible in the morning and say, God, I need your direction today because there's some things I just feel like a stranger in. How many times have you felt like a stranger when you're dealing with your kids or when you're dealing with a work colleague or when you're dealing with issues with your spouse? It feels like husband and wife, we don't even speak the same language. I don't understand everything about her or him or those children or my parents. I don't get it exactly we're strangers, so we need to go to him and say, open your word, don't hide your commandments from me, I need to see, I need direction. And by the other hand, on the other hand, if we go just simply proudly, walking through life thinking, I know how to deal with this situation, I've been here before, we're going to miss it. How many times have you, have you ever been using your Google Maps and you got to a particular landmark. Oh, I'm here on 94 again. Oh, I, I got to 35W. And you say what? I know how to get home from here. And what do you do with Google Maps? You turn it off. I don't need that anymore. Those two differences are going to determine how you relate to this book. Whether you say, I've been here before. I've got it today. I don't need this or whether this book is going to be the lamp to your feet and the light to your path for the, for the difficult and challenging circumstances that if we're not trusting our own heart, will come up over and over again in our lives. Why he depends? Because he needs to depend to dispel the inner confusion about feeling like a stranger surrounded by all kinds of unfamiliar circumstances. But what about the second thing we said? Why does he depend? 
because he senses the external opposition and corruption that awaits him. He says, I need comfort and I need protection in a very unfriendly world, surrounded by the lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life. Listen to what Jesus prayed for his disciples in John chapter 17. Do you remember his high priestly prayer for a whole chapter in John chapter 17 when he pours out his heart to God, saying what he desires for his followers? Listen to this. In verse 13, he says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. Your word, what they are to desire. And the world hath hated them. External opposition. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. It's not what I'm looking for. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see that? They are not of the world. The world is opposing them. They are strangers and aliens and pilgrims in this world. So God, what am I asking you to do? Sanctify them. Set them apart from the world. By what? By your truth. Your word is truth. And do you know if we take those words for what Jesus prayed them to be, you and I are going to need to dive into this world and say, God, we see that we're not of the world and that the world is opposed to us and always has been opposed to us and always will be opposed to us. So set us apart through this book. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us meditate on it. Let us draw applications for the way we live our lives. Protect us through this word against all the corruption of this hostile world. Can I say it like this? The more comfortable you get with the world around you and navigating it and figuring out how to get your way in it, the less you're going to rely on this book to be what sanctifies you and sets you apart. The more comfortable you get with the situations that come up and more, the more trusting you are in your own instincts, your own judgment, your own just ideas for how to navigate, the less you're going to come to this book with the desire that the psalmist in one, Psalm 119 comes and he says, don't, don't, please don't hide this from me. Please don't conceal my eyes to what's in your... No, open my eyes. Show me the wonderful things that are in your law. Why? Because I desperately need them. I remember several years ago, I went out golfing with my kids. And I took... I, I don't remember. I probably had three of them with me at the time. And we had a golf cart. And as we were going, the kids just loved driving along on the golf cart as we went. And I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to give them an opportunity to drive, to steer the golf cart with me. And so the first one that hops on is Lars. And Lars was, I don't know, he was probably six, maybe seven at the time. And Lars felt pretty good about his ability to steer a golf cart. And so I stuck him on my lap. And we just truck down the road. And this kid's got two hands on the wheel. And he doesn't need dad too much. He's got this. And he's just kind of cruising down the road. I'm, of course, taking the pedals. Don't worry. I'm not that irresponsible, a dad. And he's driving down. And he was just like, I got this. We're good. 
And then it was Kate's turn. And I can't remember how old Kate was at the time. She was probably something like five. And it was the funniest and cutest thing. She gets on the, my lap, and she's holding that wheel. And I start going, oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. And she's holding on. And like I'm starting to hold on to the wheel with her. And we're going down. And, and every unfamiliar thing was just like, oh, daddy, daddy, help. Help, daddy, help. And, and we, we turned the wheel. Was, whoa, whoa. And this girl was absolutely desperate to have her dad's hands over her on the wheel. Why? Because she knows if dad takes his hand off the wheel, we're going straight into that sand trap over there. Now, now think about the difference between those two things. The difference between the person who says, I've done this, this whole life thing, this whole staying free from the opposition to the world and the corruption that surrounds me in the world, I've got that down. God, I'm good. I've got both hands on the wheel. We're safe. I, I don't really need your direction so much today, do I? That's the difference between that and the person who says, God, you know if you take your hands off this wheel, if I don't get your direction, I'm crashing today. I'm going straight into that sand trap head over heels. God, don't hide your commandments from me. Open your word to me this morning so that I can get the direction I need and the guidance I need to live today in the unfamiliar circumstances and surrounded by the unfriendly culture that you have me living in today. God, you better hold on to this wheel or I'm in trouble. As we close this evening, let me ask you this. Which one are you more like when it comes to your relationship to this book in the way you read it, in the way you study it, in the way you memorize it, in the way you meditate on it? My premise is this. The more you embrace that you are a stranger in the world, the stranger in the earth, surrounded by unfamiliar circumstances and an unfriendly culture, the more your desire and your dependence is going to reflect the psalmists. May that be true for each one of us.